So how, what's the solution? So how do we get that? So well, here's the thing. We got to recognize that wealth is intergenerationally created. Most people who get rich don't get rich in a lifetime. Oprah, that's once in a while. Bill Gates, that's once in a while. Most people are intergenerational wealth. That means what? That if black people want to catch up, we have to start saving wealth and passing it to the next generation. Our biggest problem ain't that we're splurging. Is that every time we splurge, we're stealing from our descendants. You're giving them no inheritance to get started with. But the white child, they're starting out $100,000 plus, a million, a million dollars plus. And I think we have to become more strategic in the way that we do our health plans as well as our life insurance plans. Because what I'm learning with a lot of these white folk, a lot of them are getting their first, uh, uh, what you want to call a shock of wealth through the life insurance policy are, of their they are, parents. Yeah, we, we, we talk about that too. Yeah, so, life insurance policy. Yeah. Yeah. so there's so many different strategies towards wealth that we're not even thinking about because black people, our selfishness, it's also based on our, what you want to call it, emergency consciousness, survival instinct. We're only worrying about our life. We do not think about those who come after us. Now, you got to realize now, when we got out of slavery, white folks been already building wealth for a couple centuries. Right, right. We started behind the eight ball. Okay, so you got to play catch up. How do you catch up with somebody who's 100 yards in front of you? You have to run faster than they are. Right, right, that means we have to sacrifice our spending habits more than everyone else in order to catch up. How does a people who are at the bottom waste money more than people who are at the top? So not only are you not catching up, you're not even thinking about it, trying to catch up. Hey, folks. So here's a conversation we don't normally have on Profane Faith, and that is one about money. Uh, but money, as I've talked about on the show, is extremely important, uh, especially when you think about um, production costs, when you think about uh, phones, when you think about uh, fees, when you think about website, all those things are run by money. So I think it behooves us to have this conversation uh, and to delve a little bit into this. And so, you know, uh, as always, don't want to provide all the answers or think that this is the solution. But I brought a friend on to talk a little bit about wealth, uh, wealth management and what that may look like uh, in today's market. I, I check it out. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey fam, welcome back to Profane Faith. Here we are. Here we are, here we are, back on Profane Faith. Um, 
Wow. Uh, well, if you listen to this in real time, a um, couple things, man. It is hot as hell <laughs> up here in Chicago right now. We got a, oh my gosh, a heat index of, oh my gosh, let me see. Let me see where we're at. It's 99, got a heat excessive warning. And the damn humidity is making it feel like 109. Now, here's the thing. I've been in 115 degree, 120 degree weather. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, out in Death Valley, um, uh, out in um, Palm Springs, um, out there. I've been in that heat. That is a dry heat. And yes, that is hot. But damn, 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 this humidity, fam. Whoo, it's killing me. It's killing me. It's killing me. I am. I'm. I. And then I woke up with like allergies, fam. I'm telling you. It was, oh, it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> it was a rough morning for a brother, man. And um, and we're just coming off a holiday, a family holiday, hanging out with the fam, had a chance to do a little vacation. I hope y'all get a chance to, to do some things like that. Um, I think we work too much. And in the end of the day, no one sits on their deathbed saying, I wish I would have, you know, filed one more paper. I wish I would have written one more thing. I wish I, you know, it's like, nah, man, take, take some time out, uh, make some memories with family. If, if you can, if you can, you know, I, I get, I get to that. There are situations where, you know, cats just got to work. I've been in those situations before where it's just like, I, I, if I miss a day, if I miss a week, that's a, that's a week's worth of pay. And a lot of these jobs, especially in this market, I realize don't have vacation policies, don't have, um, you know, time off, don't have, you know, what do they call it? Uh, um, you know, PT time, right? You know, some of these jobs is just straight booty. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah. So at any rate, hope you, hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying cool wherever you at. Um, you know, I like nice weather, but this is ridiculous. And I know those of you from the South, Y'all laughing at me right now. Don't 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 hate on me too bad. I won't hate on you too much come this winter, okay? <laughs> when it gets down to 30 and y'all got like, you know, a quarter inch of a smattering of snow, I won't laugh too much. Um, you know, when y'all be saying it's cold and stuff. All right, can we can we do that? <laughs> can we do that? But at any rate, speaking of jobs and everything, um I wanted to have a conversation um, so I met the brother Brian, who I'm going to be talking with this week, um, uh, because both my partner and I, um, we, you know, got a will and it was something that has really been on my mind and something that as particularly as a black man and particularly as, is, is, you know, African-American, Mexican-American, man, this was something that we didn't necessarily talk a lot about growing up. In fact, my, when my grandmother died, um, she never liked talking about death. Um, she never liked talking about all I knew was that she wanted to be buried next to her parents or in the in the plot that her dad bought uh, at the cemetery. That's all I knew. Um, and so unfortunately, when she passed, I didn't know much. You know, I was just like, OK, and then what are we going to how are we going to pay for this? You, those of you who know, know that funerals are no joke. It is it, it is a business and they will charge you, you know, even cheap funerals are, you know, six, seven thousand um, dollars. And, you know, and it's it, so anyways, all that to say, I was like, I'm encouraged. I need to do something now. Um, and it, one of the things we wanted to do was just have our affairs in order. And you never know what can happen. Right. Um, and in that process, we met a guy who just is was amazing i was like man here's a brother who knows this shit <laughs> who knows uh, you know uh, you know some some things about money and finances and budgeting 
Um, and I just wanted to have him on the show because I was just like, I think the profane faith audience could benefit uh, from a brother like this. Um, there's some, you know, there, the money makes the world go around. And whether you want to admit it, and I get capitalism is horrible. Um, you know, the way corporations treat people, the way we value human life over profit, over the bottom line, which is to get a product out. I, I'm with you. I'm simply talking about how do we look at money um, in a manner that we all have to deal with, right? Um, and looking at the future. And I get the future is not, you know, paved out. And especially uh, with goddamn white militias being, you know, found out and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, with uh, full armory going into, uh, you know, start a riot and everything, you know, that's, uh, I get that there's, there's, the future is questionable. Nevertheless, I wanted to have some conversations around money, guys, particularly in the black community, because uh, I've said this before, but, you know, a concentrated area of black wealth does not exist uh in our communities and i want to see that change and i don't necessarily i myself am not necessarily sure how to go about that i'm not a millionaire i'm barely a thousandaire uh you know definitely a hundredaire you know what i'm saying uh and maybe like a tensaire definitely a tensaire you know for sure i've got a few tens in my wallet right i can i can handle that but uh you know when it comes to actual like money money uh, it, you know where i can go and buy four or five different properties Whoo, you know, um, so I wanted to have that conversation. I wanted to get it, get it going. So, uh, I brought Brian on and, and, uh, he's just great. Cause you know, he, he hangs around this stuff all the time. And I was just like, man, would you be willing to come on the show? And he was just like, of course. Um, so I was thankful for that. And, you know, again, there's a lot of stuff going on. I realized that, um, in the, in the, in the time that we're in, when you think about just uh, this Pride Month, yay for that. Um, I'm, I'm excited, at least again, if you listen to this in real time, if not in real time, Pride Month, June, 2022. Um, and, um, you know, just with that, and you think about, you know, again, these white supremacists showing up to this gay pride parade, you know, in, to incite a riot. And if you notice though, um, you know, the police knew how to take people into custody. They knew how to treat them with care. And you know what they got charged with? A uh, a misdemeanor. <laughs> I get that it's a misdemeanor to incite a riot, and I'm sure that'll have some consequences, but I'm like, a misdemeanor? So these cats basically went in, got booked, got a picture taken, and, got, and then left, bounced the hell out. <laughs> oh fam i'm telling you right now we got there's some there's some there's some major major things going on it's, and it's interesting too i was just like what cops you know was it ohio um you know it's like what cops going you know it's like shoot they arresting their friends <laughs> what cops did you get to pull them over? They was, they was probably the ones telling them um hey man i see you at the barbecue on sunday you know what i'm saying Oh gosh, 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 just a crazy time. So I realized there's a lot going on there. This is why I wanted to pause just a little bit, um, talk a little bit about money and how those things come back and just some of the ideologies surrounding money, some of the negativity around that. Again, with black wealth, as you heard in the clip, you know, it's just, we don't, we don't talk enough about it. And, and it's not something that is put out there. And it's not like Oprah is, is, is giving back to the black community, right? In a way that builds infrastructure, that builds communities, that builds, right? And and one person I don't think can do that. Um, it takes it takes a community. It, it takes um, it takes the village. But we have you know we've and we've seen iterations of those villages um, since the ending 
of slavery. Check your history. Um, and they have all uh, been torn down, burned to the ground, bombed, uh, air raided, shot, killed, maimed. Um, so, you know, what would a new iteration look like? I don't know. I really don't know because it's not like black people and be like, oh, you black people just need to pull yourself up by a bootstrap. We have the plenty of times and you white folks have torn it out. Right. And so here we are. 2022 and you know uh there's a lot to be said about this and i don't want to go all hotep on y'all uh and you know get all preachy and everything and all the younger generations like ah, i don't want to get into all that because most of those narratives are false anyway right and it's like the, the older generation always wants to blame the younger generation and the younger generation always wants to criticize the older generation for messing things up i get that um and there's a lot to be said about generational cultural ideological differences that exist because we got a lot of those right now especially in the black community especially in places like hip-hop um but what i'm talking about here is just some basic things budgeting saving uh getting affairs in order you know what does life insurance look like how do we pass that stuff on like for example with my daughter like what are we going to give her um you know and even if you don't have a lot because you know when we put this together it's just like it's not like we have a lot i mean sure we're you know we're owning a house you know we don't flat out own it we're still paying the bank um but it's like you know can we can we will that you know and then i have questions about you know it's like should i be investing in something more what should i be putting my retirement in um uh you know what does that look like especially in as they're saying a bear economy or a bear market right um and in a, in a, in a in a time when prices are just increasing all over the place everywhere um everybody's paying just too damn much for gas and our dependency on fossil fuels just to begin with but again that's another conversation. So anyway, I brought Brian D. Johnson. He's an author, financial educator, and serves as the Commonwealth Initiative CEO. His career in finance began in 2000 at Morgan Stanley in Chicago, here in Chicago. In 2002, Brian accepted a role with Wachovia Securities, now Wells Fargo Advisors, to work in their Chicago-based regional compliance department. Since then, Brian has acquired over 15 years of retail brokerage compliance and investment banking experience and has served in a number of capacities, including junior compliance and analyst and assistant compliance officer. Brian holds a bachelor's degree in management and a post-baccalaureate certificate in paralegal studies from Loyola University here in Chicago. He is a member of the Phi Theta Kappa International Honors Society. This brother put stuff down and what i appreciated about him is that he was upfront he was personable i always look for this for something like that right i don't want somebody who's just offsetting and and just kind of you know not even human right uh, i want somebody that i can engage with uh plus i appreciated supporting uh, a black owned business and so here's brian and i's conversation talking about money faith religion uh all those things and how they connect back to money hopefully you could take something away from this all right all right fam stay cool Okay, I love it. Love it. Yeah, brother. Well, listen, man, welcome to Profane Faith. It's great to have you on, Brian. Um, I am excited to get into this conversation with you. Um, but as I ask every guest, first off, uh, the wide spectrum uh, question, what has been happening from birth until now? Wow. One, <laughs> first and foremost, <laughs> awesome question. Um, I am really excited and thank you for the opportunity to to be on the podcast. 
from birth until now. Uh So that is a really, (laughs) not just a great question, but it really makes me me think about that. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago um, from, you know, very humble beginnings, uh, Mm -hmm. Wentworth Gardens community, as some of us would call um, the projects. And um, I was able to to learn quite a bit. You know, I grew up in a, a family that focused on faith quite a bit. So that was extremely important structure and things of that nature. However, you know, my parents are divorced. Okay. So my dad's side of the family were on the west side of Chicago. A different spectrum, you know, property owners, uh, you know, they really focused on legacy that was extremely important for my dad's side of the family. So growing up on the South Side, you know, having different perspectives of humble living on my mom's side and then with my dad's perspective as well. And then just, you know, matriculating through school and life. I've always had a passion for learning about um, money, like what Mm. to do with money, how do we work with finances. And sometimes when we don't have a lot, it makes us wonder what it's like to to actually have wealth and things of that nature. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my curiosity and that drive to learn and absorb as much information as I could landed me an opportunity when I was like 19 years old, 20 years old, to work at Morgan Stanley. Wow. And that was, yeah. So working at came in the door, working at Morgan Stanley, um, I learned a wealth of information because I was in heaven. So here it was coming from the projects. And then I'm working at this organization, this company where I am learning so much about wealth accumulation, how to deal with wealth. Um, I'm seeing firsthand the back end things of uh, how things are ran. And because I was in the compliance department, I really began to learn a lot about how the market ran and things of that nature. So I was a sponge just absorbing a wealth of information and I began to apply those principles that I learned from working in those organizations as well as some of the principles that my grandfather instilled you know he used to have a saying that says uh, don't touch a principle and always live off your interest and that always stuck with me so let me try that again okay don't trust don't touch your principle but we're going to live off the interest, which for him, man, hey, if I have a few hundred thousand dollars invested, mm-hmm. then I am going to not touch that principal amount, but I am going to live off the interest. Or if I have real estate or whatever that asset is, we want to make sure we maintain the integrity of the asset and we live off of it, even if that means borrowing from it. Say, for instance, you have a business or something of that nature, mm-hmm. but maintaining that. So those principles began to resonate with me quite a bit bit in my younger years. And as I began to apply those principles at 20 and 21, um, I purchased my first condo as a result of just applying basic principles, budgeting, sound money management, uh, learning about how the financial systems work. It began interesting because I grew up in in the projects and I was like, wait a minute. Okay, now when we're going and we're gambling, and isn't that similar to options, puts and calls, and trading and things of that nature? There's a lot of 
similarities there. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that um, and learning and putting these principles into place in my life and purchasing property and things of that nature, um, later down the road, being able to purchase investment property, I began to have a passion to share these amazing things that I had learned over the years working at Morgan Stanley and different hedge funds and a number of different financial services companies. The only thing that I would say is different with my approach is that I saw a number of individuals that looked like me that did not understand the financial services industry. And I was not interested in just providing services uh, or helping individuals to just grow their wealth and charging them these crazy commissions and fees. I really wanted to work with individuals, connect with them and help them to not only come up with a financial plan and investment plan, but I wanted to look at your financial situation from a holistic standpoint. What are your behaviors? Wow. What can we put in place? Not just what can I sell you, but we're looking at what do we what what goals do we need to put in place? What smart goals do we need to establish and how do we help you really achieve success? And a lot of that it lies within your structure. So as a result of that, I created the Commonwealth Initiative mm -hmm. in 2012 to do exactly that, to help individuals reach their financial goals, to be able through financial coaching, I'm sure some of us have heard of that, that term, as well as to provide individuals what they really needed, that connecting, helping them understand the financial puzzle, as well as, hey, this is what you're investing in. Because what I discovered over the years is that if you put a system in place, a budget, a money management system, it's a lot easier to really build on that financial house from the standpoint of investing. What do you want to invest in? You know, we have to have, do we know how much we are investing every month? Because that's key. So if you don't know what's coming in and going out, it's hard to establish that. So that was one, the base element. And then the other thing that's extremely important uh -huh. is making sure that there is a financial legacy. So, oh. you know, I want to take a pause oh. Oh. <laughs> before I go into that. So Ooh. there's a two-part element yeah. of helping individuals and being of service to the community and really helping them and seeing them reach their goals. Because I, I've witnessed over the years when individuals um, use some of the principles that I put in place. And I wrote a book called The Budgeting Blueprint, uh, a, a three-step guide to helping you put together a budget and spending plan because I saw a number of individuals that really struggled in this area. Mm -hmm. And it's really simple. So that was one element. And then the other thing that was really important uh, for me is that I witnessed my grandfather who migrated from the South, okay. 1950s, okay. came up here to Chicago, worked hard. Um, this man was like the, the the essential of hard work. I mean, he acquired real estate, a number of rental properties on the West Side. I watched him over the years reference, as I mentioned before, some of his financial savings. He hold on to the principal, live off the interest. He also believed in creating a legacy. And he had a number of great ideas uh, that he wanted for his grandchildren and, and things that he wanted to leave to us and a number of other things. And what was interesting is that when I started working at Morgan Stanley, I'm a practical person. I look at what do those who have wealth, what financial tools do they use? 
a number of them use trust companies uh-huh. and things of that nature. And I was sharing that with my granddad, like, hey, uh, Pops, with the amount of wealth that you have, you should, and it's encouraged that you use some estate planning. Well, unfortunately, my granddad, although he kind of was like, you know, he was old school, like, uh, yeah. I don't know much about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, give me the information. I'm going to get around to it. You know, it's on the list of things to do. You know, he was busy collecting rent, you know, and, yeah. and maintaining, you know, this this wealth. Um, and although it was shared with us orally from his perspective of what he saw the vision for the family, it was not in writing. So oh. unfortunately, my grandfather suffered a stroke oh. in 2006, oh no, which left him incapacitated in the sense that he could not speak. Wow. He could not. Um, he wasn't able to uh, to function. He needed consistent care as a result of not having his financial house in order, his estate planning, that will, that trust, that power of attorney, that power of attorney for property and health care, it essentially sent his estate in complete chaos. Wow. Because then there was a number of different um, challenges and battles, and you know, with the family and who's sure. going to control sure. the estate. There was a massive amount of money that was spent just going to get guardianship. Where if he had something as simple as sign his power of attorney for health care or power of attorney for property, it would have eliminated the need for a lot of things. So there wasn't a lot of proactiveness there. And as a result of that, I saw my granddad's estate go from this this very impressive amount to dwindle to essentially nothing when he transitioned. And so I became passionate about legacy and understanding uh, uh, us as individuals. What do we want to leave? What legacy do we want to to leave for our families? What structure do we have in place? Because it all begins with that. So I wow. say that to say that's what's been going on with me from uh, from birth to up to this point. And, and these are some of the passions and why I am so so passionate about helping individuals see the opportunities and utilizing a plan and helping individuals put together a legacy plan for themselves through estate planning, uh, helping them succeed in their businesses and structure and a number of different things, because this is the way. And these are some of the lasting things that really matters when you leave a legacy for your family and doing things with passion. If you don't love what you do, what's the purpose? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, so this is this is powerful. And I think it's powerful because I, I know, you know, I was raised very similar to you as well. My grandmother, who largely in large raised me, you know, she was she came through in the Great Depression. So it's like, you know, there was a sense of just you got to save everything. But at the same time, yeah. like you said, it was just about maintaining. And I mean, and she brought her property, I think, in the 60s. I mean, this was in Texas, yeah. right? rural southern Texas. And it was, you know, like, I don't know, 14, 15 grand, right? And you know what I'm saying? So it's like 14, 15 grand, you know, on, you know, about a half an acre or, you know, lot and stuff, man. But, you know, again, it's just maintaining it. So I didn't grow up necessarily with that that sense of less. You, it, it was just like, hey, you get your paycheck, pay your bills. And you have If you have anything left over, you can go out and have a little fun with that. And so that was the cycle. If somebody is coming from that, man, what advice... You talked about a budget. What's what's the importance 
of a budget? And then the second part of that is how do you maintain it? Especially if you get your check and then the next thing you know, you're like, oh my gosh, everything is gone. Like, how am I even supposed to budget that? Like, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely makes sense. And those are some extremely important questions. So when I say the importance of a budget, I referenced earlier, you have to know what your income is, right? Yeah. So even though we may live from check to check, we all have expenses, we all have things and obligations and responsibilities. So I think the first step um, and before we get started with anything, with investing, with figuring out what your legacy is, is taking account of knowing what income is coming in. We call that uh, categorize. And then we need to take an understanding of what your expenses are. And when you start to break those down and the goal is to have a balanced budget uh, at the end of the day. So what ends up happening is that the way that I or what, what I should say, what has worked for me in the past and with some of my clients is that we include in that budget things that are very important, like savings. We include in your budget investing, if that's a goal for you, if it's paying down debt. Because if you don't put it in the plan in the budget every month, it is a possibility that you may overlook that and it may, you know, fall down on the priority list. So, for example, if we are accounting for all of our monthly expenses uh, and we know uh, what money is coming in, the income, your check, your side hustle, whatever that is, and then you know what these bills are, not only are you going to, as a result, pay them on time. You know from a high-level overview where you stand financially. And what ends up happening is that this budget can serve as something as that you can automate. And that's the reason why it's so important. So if I am making sure that I, you know, rent is due on the first, I'm prioritizing that. I know I get paid on the last day of the month. So therefore, I'm going to do an automatic payment for my rent or my mortgage or whatever that situation is. My bills will be paid on time. Um, I know where my money is going. I can see that. I can historically look back and see where my spending. Um, so these are some of the reasons why a budget is important. We often fear it and we think like, it's restrictive, but it really isn't. It's directing your finances. No different if you are at work and you want to make sure that the company that you work for has a sound budget. We need to do that for ourselves personally. Mm -hmm. And we factor in the things and the goals that's key, like investing for retirement. You may be saving for a trip. If you budget those things, even miscellaneous, going to get your hair done, going to the barbershop, <laughs> right. I budget and I categorize every single thing, my entertainment and how much I can spend to turn up because that is important. We work every day, most of us. <laughs> so we should allocate something for fun. So I'm not saying use it as a tool to restrict, but definitely a budget is an opportunity for you to really know and set the course of where you want to go with your finances. That was the first thing, the importance of a budget. The second thing is maintaining the budget. Mm -hmm. To me, some of the keys to maintaining a budget is checking it every time you get paid. If you're paid twice a week, you just want to make sure because you're pre-planning with this budget. So you already know once you get paid where these funds are going to. You know automatically how much you're going to allocate towards bills. You know what you're allocating towards expenses and things of that nature, towards savings. And it's a lot easier. And essentially, you're just making sure and checking off to make sure things are going the way they should. And if there is an emergency, 
you can easily look at your budget and say, hey, you know what? I put two hundred dollars towards savings. Um, maybe I can allocate and move uh, some of these that money towards a debt that came up or something of that nature. So that's the one of the ways to maintain your budget is by checking it every time you are paid or at least setting a goal to check it uh, monthly. Man, that's. I think that's important. I mean, I think it and honestly, if I'm keeping it real, it wasn't until I got married that I really <laughs> saw the benefits of a budget. I and yeah. I, I you know, it was just like I remember I had a Chevron gas card. Um I don't uh-huh. even think Chevron's out here in the Midwest. It was I was, in, <laughs> I was in Cali and it just always had a balance of, you know, between six and seven hundred dollars on it. And you know, we uh-huh. pay the minimums on it, or I would mm-hmm. pay the minimum on it. And I remember when I got married, you know, Emily was about, let's, 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 let's take this debt down. Like, you know, I was yeah. like, ah, man, you don't worry about it. I was like, you know, we got the gas card. It's okay. It's just always <laughs> going to stay between six and 700. And I kid you not, once we started budgeting, mm-hmm. we were able to pay that off within, you know, like four or five months and stuff, man. And I was like, whoa, this is, yeah. this is, this is a trip. How do you manage credit? And again, I'm asking you some basic questions, but I'm asking you this particularly from an intersectional lens, being black, being from a community that didn't, you know, I, again, coming from impoverished, you know, environments, it was just like, shoot, you got your side hustle. And, you know, again, keeping it real back when I was growing up, I had my, I was part of the underground economy and stuff. Right. And so Uh it was just like, and all that money (laughs) that came in. Went right back out again. No budget. It's just like you get eight, mm-hmm. nine grand a week. It's just like, well, that's going right back out. So my point is, is, is how do you navigate credit, especially when there's all kind of credit offers? You even got, you know, ca- cash places that, you know, check into cash. All that stuff. How, how does some of that stuff, particularly predatory lending, how does one mm-hmm. begin to get their head around some of that stuff if they just don't even know? Like, how yeah. do you even think about that like aprs and you know it's like zero percent interest they said zero percent interest i can just buy whatever yeah. and I, as long as i pay it off right right no that's a, that's another great uh a great question navigating your credit and i think i referenced with the budget you know making sure your bills are paid timely that's extremely important right yeah so when we think about our credit it's it's com- uh, composed of a number of different elements they they factor in and create a score and your credit report consists of how much credit you have, how much of that credit you are using. So if you have a thousand dollar credit limit and you're using and you have it maxed out at nine hundred and fifty dollars, that's high utilization. Um, you know, there's a number of different other factors that come into play with, you know, with putting together, I should say, different components of your credit uh, report. But I think the first thing that we do is. And navigating that is to check our credit report. Yeah. Every individual has the the right and the FCRA provides us access to our credit reports from TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, um, free uh, once a year. Uh, I believe it's freecreditreport.com. You can do a, a quick Google search on it. And there's a number of wealth of information that will guide you through the process. So checking your credit report, one, is the most important thing. And you want to make sure that the information there is accurate. So, okay. you know, your, your address, you know, um, if there is dated information over seven years, things of that nature, that's how you start. So you educate yourself and you find out, one, these are the rules. You review the credit report. You see what the rules are. For example, things that are over seven years can be removed 
removed from your credit report, you know, and see if those rules apply to your credit report. If there are items that need to be contested, which means that um, are not are inaccurate, okay. you know, are reported incorrectly. There are a number of free tools that are out there or free things that you can do to really ensure that your credit one is accurate. And then the next thing you do is make sure we're building the credit. Okay. So in building your credit, um, and make sure I'm clear, we're going to check the credit one, okay. <laughs> pull the credit report. Yeah. We're going to make sure it's two, that it's accurate. The information is reported accurately, and that can be done by contesting. And three, we're going to put in measures to make sure that we are maintaining and building that credit. So that means utilizing our credit cards wisely, uh, making sure that we don't max them out when we don't, you know, when we can. Also paying our bills on time and using that budget because it's going to help aid in that. And being a wise steward over our finances um, is going to really is really going to play out with this. So I think those are some of the tools that we can do to navigate the credit, our personal credit space, and then determine what your goals are. So, for example, if when I went through the process of when I was 20 years old mm -hmm. and I wanted to buy my condo. So at 20, what was it, 1920 when I started working at uh, Morgan Stanley and learning these principles, I'm the type, I'm bold. I'm like, wait a minute. So if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get this result. So what I did was exactly what I just described to everyone listening to this podcast. I, at 20 years old, I looked at my credit. There were some things that were not accurate. I cleaned it up myself. Hmm. Um, that's not saying there isn't a space for companies that actually assist with that. But I went through these steps. I cleaned it up. I made sure that I was reporting and paying my bills timely. I even had, you know, my budget in an Excel spreadsheet laid out. And then I went to a mortgage broker and qualify for a mortgage. So I went from the project to being able to live in a condo. For me, that was a huge step at that point by using these simple steps that we just described a minute ago. Wow. So this is, so this, I, again, I, I love all this. And I, again, I'm asking you questions that I, that I myself have pondered and that I also get Especially from, you know, because I, I work as a college professor, so I see a lot of young <laughs> professionals at the beginning of their career, you know, and trying to, you know, trying to ask some of these questions. So how, let me ask the big question. You talked about wealth. How does one begin to even think about wealth, investing, um, you know, getting, you know, is, is Bitcoin even viable? You know, yeah. oh, should, should we get into <laughs> NFTs? Like, like, how does that even begin to make sense for some people? Because, I, because I, again, I ain't going front. I don't understand a lot of the stuff on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. I don't understand a lot of the jibber-jabberish. And so how does one begin to even say, what is, you, you talked about legacy. What is, what is my legacy going to be? If you're 20, 30, 40, how does we begin to think about, okay, the next 20 years? Like you said, even just putting money away yeah. uh, for retirement, right? Mm -hmm. No, I think you, you said something that's very interesting. It's like, how do we think? for the next 20 years. And when we think about legacy, legacy is something that's long term. And I'll I'll be completely transparent with you. So what I did was one of the first things in establishing legacy for my family, I went and I had to look at some of our, our patterns. Mm. I went and did some ancestry yeah. and I looked at what granddad did and grandmama did and great grandma. And I went back as far as I could and looked at my family to see what our gifts and talents were 
and looked at some of the things that we were good at doing, which was we loved entrepreneurship and my family, we love helping individuals, but where we lacked, um, or I should say there was an opportunity to improve was having the tools in place for the legacy. Okay. So I had to take a step back and say, all right, what do we need in order to have a legacy? One, we need a family, right? So that's first and foremost. We have to determine what our goal is for our family. So for us, my granddaddy was key for him to us to always own real estate because he never wanted us to worry about where we were going to live. So that was huge for me. Okay, let me plan for multiple generations. So if this was key for me and, you know, as long as we can we can recall, we've always needed housing, right, and shelter. Mm -hmm. So it may be a good investment to invest in real estate and keep that in the family to support future family members because they're going to need a place to stay. So if we can make sure we acquire that asset, maintain it, and hold it for grandkids, great grandkids and do it in the, in, in the proper way, yeah. then that's going to be a great thing for legacy. Um, so I began to look at things of what I, what's important, even for my son in the process, what is important for me to pass down to him, not just the knowledge and yeah. how to maintain, but why we're doing this. And then I began to look at what tools are needed in order to create legacy. So if we look at it from a, a, a faith-based perspective, and I grew up Christian, and my understanding is that we're supposed to leave an inheritance for our children's children. Well, how do we do this? You know, and do this in the most efficient way. And for me, the way that we do that is through estate planning, making sure that you have a trust, a living revocable trust, or making sure you have a irrevocable trust, depending on your financial situation. Because for me, it was like the only way to properly pass down these assets and avoid some of the situations that my grandfather incurred and so that we can protect the legacy, protect the assets, protect what we have for future generations, we have to use these tools that I described, the living revocable trust, the power of attorneys and things of that nature, so that, you know, if something happens to granddad, all the family properties are held in trust for the beneficiaries. And we don't have to worry about losing things. So why is that important? Because legacy, it is important to pass the baton from one generation to the next. Okay. And how do I effectively do that if I'm having and created this this empire that we want? How do we hand or pass the reins down to the next generation? Are we putting those these assets that we've acquired, our family wealth and businesses? Are we making sure they are in trust so that these tools can be properly handled by the successor trustees and things of that nature? These are ways that we perpetuate and continue our legacy keeping our family traditions in place. What are the rules for our family? Are we going to, is it important for us to make sure we pay for education in the family? Is it important that once our children become of age and they get married, do we want to make sure that we pay for they, a down payment for their homes? Are we investing for the college education now, okay. you know, for our children and grandchildren? What things are important? It, it varies for each individual person. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, in that, oh my gosh, there's so much there. I mean, because I think, you know, there, there, there's so much psychology involved in this, right? It's like, you know, there's a sense of like, well, I mean, right. And, you know, it's like, we've, we've known this. It's like, we live in a now society, like everything. It's like Amazon, we get same day delivery, right? It's like, you get Uber, like we're going to be there, you know, we're going to be there in five minutes. You know, you can even track it on the app. 
So some folks may just say, hey, you know what? Shoot, life is short. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, buy myself that little PS, you know, PlayStation and the 62 inch, you know, television, LED and and blah, blah, blah. How does how have you helped counsel some folks, man, in navigating some of those bad habits that we've that we've all picked up um, in regards to like having it now? I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, my one of the things that we've had to adopt as a family is if you can't unless it's something big like, OK, a house. We got to got to have a car or something like that. But if like if you walk into like, you know, a department store, if you can't pay cash for it, just wait. Or save up, um, you know, to do that. Um, and granted, again, you know, we didn't have the, you know, the the um thousand dollars, you know, to buy to buy a house and cash. So obviously, we financed it. But um, my point being is, is like, you know, how, how how have you counseled some of the folks basically in 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 navigating some of these these money pitfalls? And then I want to get to some of the stuff with the rate of inflation and, and whatnot, especially gas prices and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. That's a that that that's a big one. Um, to the first point of you know dealing with that that as I call it, the microwave mentality of yeah. that we want it instantaneous, we want it right now, and I understand that. Um, what I've done in helping individuals is under helping them to understand the benefit of delayed gratification, and uh, understanding that. We have to have balance with everything. So I'm not one that feels like just completely deprive yourself, but I like to implement small steps that we can do gradually where you are still maintaining yourself because it's important that we take care of ourselves, right? Yeah. And sometimes we think with this entire process that we have to restrict ourselves, um, but it's not a restriction. It is we are redirecting and our funds and, and, and how we we allocate things. So for example, if I know that I don't have funds for a down payment um, or that there's something I want in a, a large purchase, for example, then I know I need to save for that. And that if it's really important for me to have this, for example, to, to purchase this home and I need to save $5,000, I'm going to do everything that I can to allocate as much of my spending towards that. Or something as as much as, hey, you know, you want to enjoy life and you generally spend maybe, a, say, 150 bucks every, you know, every two weeks to go out and have a good time. Mm -hmm. How about we take 50 bucks of that or 40 or 25 bucks and we put it into a mutual fund because you've always mentioned that you are a chef and you want to start this business. So how about we take a few dollars of your turn up money and put it to the side? And before you know it, just like what you and your wife did when you were paying down that $600 credit card or the, you know, the card, then you will be surprised of how much money you've accumulated. So imagine you putting something to the side and then you realize, man, hey, I have actually sacrificed and I did the steps that was necessary. So I say that to say I explain to my clients the importance of delayed gratification and creating a balance with trying to reach their goals and still maintaining and taking care of themselves because we have to have that balance there. I think that's key. Yeah. No, that's I like that. And I and I know that was the other side of of some of the bad advice that I got growing up was that, you know, saving was always this rigorous discipline thing where you can never really take care of yourself. You got to do all these things. do that. And so honestly, it just turned me off because I was like, well, if I can't go out and have a little fun, if I can't go out and do, yeah. you know, do some of this and stuff, you know, a hobby or whatever. 
you know, what's the point of living and whatnot. And so given that and given, you know, just the, the, the space and place that we find ourselves right now, I mean, with inflation going up, I think, you yeah. know, what is it? Interest rates. They they raised the interest rates up again, too, didn't they? Yeah, they, they're moving the Fed fund right up again. So that is that's a huge thing. And that determines and impacts our mortgages, the mortgage mm-hmm. rates. And I believe we've had some very favorable rates over the past few years. And essentially, inflation is just the cost of everything is going up, right? So our dollars are not um, stretching as far. We can't buy as much as we could before. And it's clearly evident when we go to the gas station, at the pump, um, going to the grocery store, the price of food has increased. You're trying to buy some salmon. I'm a pescatarian. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. You know, um, a number of things are happening, right? right. And I'm a firm believer right. in we can control what we, I as a person, can control. So, what I can do to combat inflation is one, you know, try to shop smart. You know, look for the best deals, of course, things that are on sale. But from a financial standpoint, we know inflation is inevitable. It's going to happen, right? Every single year, the price of things go up. Um, But how do we combat that and deal with that? That's where the investing component comes in. Because generally, if our inflation rate is around 2%, but now it may be, you know, it's over, it's north of 5%, 6% currently the inflation, um, the effects of inflation we have to have investments that are can counter that inflation rate. And what do I mean by that? So if you are investing in mutual funds, investing in certain um, exchange-traded funds, and your investments are generating 10%, you know, 11%, 12%, your money is growing at a higher rate than what inflation is, if inflation is 4 or 5%. So I look at the key to... to combat inflation, if we will, one is to be smart with our shopping, um, realize that it is happening and hopefully we're making smart decisions with our investments and that our money is growing at a rate that exceeds what the current inflation is. And I think that's one way. So if our money is growing, that's one way of looking at it. I think another element that we may have to consider mm-hmm. is utilizing our gifts and talents and generating additional streams of income. So that may be another way to help with inflation. One, looking for those different um, deals. Two, investing so that our money and our retirement exceeds that amount of inflation um, and that our wealth, our money is growing. And the other thing that we can do now is if we have special talents and, 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 and gifts and abilities, put those to use. I, for example, love to help individuals like I referenced. So I coach individuals through my company, the Commonwealth Initiative, mm-hmm. and I, we give free advice on our podcast, Financially Unhinged, and we do things to give back to the community. So that's something that's a passion for uh, for me and a number of the individuals at CWI. And that's something else that I encourage other individuals. If you're great at cooking, hey, there may be an avenue um, to generate additional money. There's Instacart, there's Uber, there's so many different creative things and that's based on what you're interested in. So I think those two or three things are mm-hmm. some ways that we can, things that we can do to not just combat inflation, but just deal with inflation as a whole. Gotcha. No, this is, this is good. I mean, cause in, in, 
<laughs> Again, I mean, as we as we think about it, because um, one of the questions I wanted to ask, you know, in regards to the work you do, especially being a black man, how have you engaged mm-hmm. with I'm reading an article now. Uh, this was published on March 19th, 2021. So a little over a year ago. Uh, talking mm. about uh, the wealth gap between, you know, black and white mm. uh, wealth generational gaps. And, you know, particularly with COVID-19, um, you know, folks who are, you know, who were more likely to to be able to work from home and to avoid getting yeah. sick and everything were tended to be white. Uh, both my partner and I, you know, we had the, you know, the awesome opportunity to be able to work from home uh, at that time. Well, her job at the time was all remote to begin with. So that wasn't an, ever okay. an issue. <laughs> um, I was a teacher. So, you know, they took us out of the classroom. Um, but you know, I, I still, you know, had friends and colleagues who were still, you know, on that bus and this was way before vaccine or anything was just like, Mm -hmm. even before we even knew what this thing was, it was like, Mm -hmm. I still got to go to work. I still got to go clock in. How have you engaged with some of those inequities? Cause it's like, every time you look up, you see these, uh, uh, you know, you see these kind of things moving further and, and growing wider and whatnot, man. How have you yeah. kind of engaged some of that or in, in, in dealt with some of that in the, in the work you do? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an amazing question. And it's the reason why I'm in the financial services space mm. to this day, because I see it. Uh, what, I, what I've seen is that that wealth gap is is widening, which is not a great thing between um, blacks and minorities and, and the dominant society. And the way that I think we we look at that is doing some of the, the things or implementing some of the, um, the, the, I guess, best practices we talked about earlier, right? So we have to start having the conversation. We have to have that conversation about finances and money and, and change the, the, the mindset about how we view money and what I mean specifically by that. What can I do instantaneously? You can start just having a dialogue with your partner, with your family, with your um, with your uh, with your other groups and individuals, and it can be a number of different things. That dialogue can be at the dinner table. It could be budgeting as a family together and beginning to have that conversation so that they're, you know, your family or your partner begins to feel comfortable with money. We have to have understand what everyone's money language is. We all speak differently. Like we all have a love language and we have a different money language. Some of us are savers. Some of us are spenders. And we have to have that structure so that we all have a balance. So the way in which we start dealing with these this wealth gap is to talk about finances, talk about money, talk about some of those things that are, are a little bit uncomfortable. And then I think we have to begin to start talking about money from a strategic standpoint. Because when I talk to some of my friends and the reason why, you know, I was motivated to work with my my one of my business partners and do a podcast was because we're always talking about what are you doing with your trust? What are you doing with your finances? Are you investing? Are you in the S&P 500? What stocks are you invested in? You know, I'm not one that loves to cook. So, you know, maybe investing in ConAgra or some of these other different whole foods back then was not a good thing for me. But I love technology. I love real estate investment trust. So having this conversation and dialogue and then beginning to putting a plan in place for the family, for the creation of wealth and to maintain that wealth. For example, like I deal with my son, when he turned 21, uh, 20, it was like it was important for him to have his estate plan. 
It's important for him to have a business in place because we know what are the key things that can generate wealth. Being an entrepreneur, having certain careers and high net worth positions, or being wise with your day-to-day spending and money and investing. There's a number of different things that we as a family can do, but once we have that conversation and we put a plan in action in place, this is what we're going to invest in. These are the businesses we're going to venture in. We're going to use our talents, gifts, and abilities. And then we continue this dialogue and we work together as a family. Mm. And when I say work together as a family, that means perhaps create an investment group. Okay. One of the things that my family and I did uh, real briefly was that for the guys, for us to be engaged, and it was important for me and my family to understand investing. So the men in the family, not that the women could not be, but we wanted the brothers to get together. And every month we formed a group and we would pay 65 bucks each individual person. Mm-hmm. There's about seven or eight of us. Okay. And then we would take that money. $15 would be allocated for refreshments. We would go out on my uncle's boat. And then we would take $50 from each individual person and we would put it together in a brokerage account. And we would make decisions as a group on what mutual funds or stocks we were going to buy. And what that wow. ended up doing was we were able to fellowship every month. It was something exciting that the men in the family were able to get together and and pool their money together, which means that we had the ability to purchase more shares, more assets with all of our money combined versus individually. So that's an example of the power of combining your resources with your family to aggregate and acquire wealth. And that's another tool to help us to to lessen that that wealth gap. So, again, conversation. Yeah. Having it individually, the strategy of what we want to do, having the tools in place to maintain the wealth and consider investing together collectively as a as a family or as a group of friends. I love that. This is great. Man, an investment, I had never thought about that, but that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Cause I, you know, see, you hear some of these things and you think, ah, oh, man, that's just white folks. Oh man, I could never right. do that, man. Oh man, I could, you know, and so like there's a, you know, almost a defeatist, you know, mentality mm-hmm. that comes with that. Now, let me ask you this, man. Um, what would you say, you know, one of the arguments that's been made, and, and I've made it as well in true transparency, mm-hmm. um, is that so much of black wealth and black, you know, for example, you think about, and Killer Mike said this on his, you know, his special, that series that he had, I think it was called Trigger Warning yeah. on Netflix and stuff, about how long the dollar stays in the black community, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the Jewish dollar stays, you know, 25 plus days, Chinese, mm-hmm. Korean, I mean, right? It's like, you just keep going down. As you know, like even here in Little Village and stuff, man, it's like the money kind of just stays within it before it even leaves the community. Whereas like we got, what is it, nine hours before, you know, the, the, yeah. the money leaves? I've, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. How has that, how, you know, I, again, is it just investments? Is it buying into real estate? Is it investing in, in, in something? I mean, again, I'm, I, cause I'm trying to get my head around this. I think about black wall street. I think about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, resourced, like we have black resourced individuals, but there's still to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, no center of, okay, this is like the black Mecca over here and we can yeah. go and everything. And that money stays within that box of community for, you know, it's like the electrician, the plumber, the mechanic, all of them, the doctors yeah. are all black and, and, and it kind of keeps on investing and in, in whatnot. What, how, 
I don't know if that even makes sense. I feel like I'm just rambling. No, but yeah, what, what is that? Because I feel like it has to come back to money and stuff. So I'd be curious what your some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely. I have those same things about the the amount of time that the actual black dollar stays within our community. I think, as we, we referenced earlier, um, having this conversation is important. And some of the ways I think um, that we can literally do that is just taking a conscious effort to support other minority owned businesses. Right. So what we there's the macro of the of what's happening. And I like to look at what I as an individual person can do. And so what I like to do is to make sure that I network with other individuals like yourself and to spread the news about things that are important to us, our finances, our faith, you know, uh, and in uh, a number of other different elements, uh, working and trying to to make sure that I work with other individuals that are black professionals and networking and connecting. That's one way that we can do. I'm big on partnership. Yeah. That is one of the key things that that's extremely important for me. You know, we've all dealt with and faced various forms of um, adversity from other groups or not even adversity. Let's take it a different a step further. I just think that it, it seems that it's innate in other um, my, not other minority groups, but other groups to work together cohesively, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost, you know, our Korean brothers and sisters, you know, the dominant society generally work within their network in a lot of cases. Not to say that there aren't, you know, uh, nuances and things of that nature. I think we as a community just have to practice some of those same principles if I really have to look at it. And putting forth a conscious effort uh, to to network and look for those businesses that are ran, quality businesses that are ran, support them, uh, network with them, partner with them, and we create an alliance amongst ourselves. And when I say an alliance, it doesn't mean exclusive of our um, our allies, but it's focusing more on that dollar circulating within our community more and more. I, like I hope that, that makes sense. No, no, no. It does make sense. It does. I mean, it, it's a complex question. I don't I don't you know, I, I, I don't expect it to be resolved, you know, in, in 20 <laughs> minutes. I, I just I wanted to ask you because, you know, this is this is your profession, man. And, and, and engaging yeah. with money because it's it's I feel like it's something that we 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 don't talk enough about in general, just in, in terms of mm -hmm. investments, savings, money. Um well, let me ask you this in the little time that we have uh, uh, left. What is uh, what is the importance? And that's how we came into contact. Uh, wills. And that was something that, you know, struck me really hard when my grandmother, like I said, who raised me, uh, mm -hmm. ended up passing away. Um, you know, because I remember always wanting to talk with her like, OK, what do you want to do? And all I knew that what my grandmother's wishes were was that she wanted to be buried in the same land plot that her father bought many years ago. She wanted to be buried there next to her mm -hmm. mom and dad. That's it. That's all I knew. You know, and every time I tried to bring it up, she'd be like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. And she passed, unfortunately. Um, you know, I was living in L.A. at the time and she was in Texas still. Um, and I, we just we just never had a chance, you know, just to get to that conversation. So granted, wow. there was a lot to pick up. Now, my grandmother wasn't a rich woman. And, you know, I think, you know, at the time she had like seven or eight hundred bucks left in her, her estate or whatever. But mm -hmm. even just okay. dealing with that the funeral costs, the house, the property, yeah. the closing, all that stuff, man. Uh, 
I I never really felt the weight of a will um, in, until then. And along with that, life insurance, yeah. like, is that an important thing? How have you, again, had some of those conversations about what some of us, and I, don't, I wouldn't say the younger generation, but some of the older generations, like my age and older, still have problems talking about, like, oh, death. And, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the hospital. You go to the hospital, my uncles used to say, I'll go to the hospital, they're going to find something, they're going to keep you there longer. So. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know if that, again, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, like wills, the, you talked about the legacy. I wanted to make sure I came back to that legacy part about what you, yeah. were, you, were, you, know, you were talking about. No, no, I think that's really good. I think I, I take a unique approach with my family. I'm pretty outspoken, um, and they know I'm outspoken because of the place that it comes from. It comes from love. So I give that that Capricorn energy sometimes, that, that, tough, <laughs> that tough love there. But um, I also use what I've done in the past is that we've had a number of deaths in our family, and we understand the impact. And I generally ask people, like, when we lose someone, think about how painful that was. Think about your mindset and think about, um, you know, uh, just dealing with the loss or the absence of that person's presence on earth. So and then to complicate that and have to deal with them not being here as well as their estate and things of that nature. I saw uh, much like what you described, the impact of not having these these four essential documents and estate planning in place, um, how much of a headache it could cause. Mm. And I use my own self. When my dad transitioned last year, he uh, passed away April 27th, okay. it was, I'm a very strong person. I generally, within my family, is the person they call the funeral, <laughs> the funeral planner. <laughs> so when anything traumatic or, you know, happens, you know, I'm always in the mode of what's the next step? Let's let's yeah. handle the yeah. situation. I can compartmentalize and deal with emotions um, later. Um, however, when my father transitioned, I was like, whoa, you know, there were so many emotions, but there were so many decisions that had to be made. Stuff that you don't can think about and consider like, oh, OK, it's not just, you know, uh, your assets and things like where are you going to be buried at? Do we know where, like that space, um, the price of putting you away, the decision, how draining, you know, mentally it is deciding where your loved one is going to lay to rest, not knowing sometimes of what their wishes and decisions are and not realizing that in order to carry out some of our wishes, we have to have these documents in place to do so. What's the power? What's the purpose of a power of attorney for property is to make the decisions if you're incapacitated. What happens if you have COVID and who's going to pay the mortgage? Who has access to go to the bank account to create a check or get a cashier's check to send it to the mortgage company or the rent? Who makes decisions if you are on a ventilator and, you know, they don't, you know, you can't speak. You know, your will is for after death. What happens, you know, with your assets after death? You know, um, are those wishes written out? If you want to take it to the next level, a trust provides a higher level of privacy and protection for your family. So there are certain things that we can do. And we have I've had those conversations with family members. I kind of threaten them because I let them know now and I've made the conversation easier because I let them know like, hey, we need to talk about what we want. You know, what does that funeral service look like? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be have a funeral service? I myself personally am paying on a pre-needs for my plot. 
I, after my dad transitioned, I went right over here to Oakwood Cemetery and was like, look, you know, while I'm going through this process, I'm going to pick out where I want to lay. And mama, come on over here. Everybody, we're going to do a pre-need and we're going to pay on these plots. We're going to galvanize and yeah. get together so that when in that time happens, we don't have to worry about this. And a plot is a piece of real estate. It goes up and you can sell it as well. So it also is an investment. Whoa. You know, you pay Whoa. for your plot. <laughs> My granddad paid for his and he paid like $750 back way back in when Jesus was born. And, <laughs> and today, fast forward, it's, you know, a couple hundred, you know, a couple thousand dollars for a plot. So it's just the way we look at things and having the conversation and removing some of the stigma is what I've done with my family so that other people are like, oh, I get it. You know, oh, some are like, I don't want to be cremated. I want to be buried. Well, let's figure out where we want to be buried. Let's take this income tax return. Some of us, Quisha, Isha, all them, yeah. you know, you got kids. Let's go ahead and put a portion of that money. We're going to be a little hood and urban with it. And so that we can be proactive. So that's what I've done. And I found that to be um, effective in talking about life insurance and understanding the importance of it. And if you are financially challenged and you don't qualify, going ahead and doing a pre-needs. When you go to some of these cemeteries, they will finance you with 0% finance to pay for you a plot. So if you know you're going to transition and you don't qualify for insurance, the way I look at things are being very practical. Take care of that expense. That's a huge expense. Yeah. And then perhaps put some money, $25, $50, the amount of money that you would put into a, a life insurance policy if you don't qualify. Um, invest that into a, a mutual fund or something month after month so that when you transition and you put it you know, in your estate, you will have a few thousand dollars to pay for your funeral service as well as you've already paid off your plot and all these other things. So looking at things creatively is what we like to do at the Commonwealth Initiative and what has helped individuals see the value. So yeah. that's what I've done with my family and my clients. I love it. I absolutely love it because I think, again, these are conversations, at least in a lot of the circles that I have, you know, that we, we don't necessarily talk about, you know, um, yeah. and you know, I think of myself as a Gen Xer, you know, coming through, you know, you know, as a kid, you know, during the late 70s and 80s and, you know, graduating high school at the beginning of the 90s and stuff, man. And so, you know, these were obviously conversations that you just didn't think, you know, like, well, you know, it's like I looked up and I was 18 years old, man, in 1992. And now I'm like, what? Wait, the L.A. uprisings was 30 years ago. Like what? 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 <laughs> Dr. Dr. Dre is, is 30 years old? I mean, like, like oh, that guy's really? So uh, I feel like school took forever. Well, at least K through 12 for me felt like it took took forever. And then once I got out, again, I blinked, and here I am damn near 50. And I'm like, what happened? Uh, um, what are some key pieces of nuggets as we're as we're as we're as we're winding down here that you would leave with people? Trying to like think about you know hey I've I've worked in nonprofit maybe I was a minister didn't make that much money mm -hmm. like how what are some key nuggets you would you would suggest brother? Um yeah good good question I think the key nuggets are is one you know taking a a, a really a hard look at where you are currently and assessing where you want to be yeah. and 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 determining what those goals are 
So if I want to be successful um, in my business or I want to do or achieve a certain or reach a certain goal, we have to be smart with it. So if I want to save a thousand dollars over the course of a year, you're going to break that up into, you know, monthly amounts that you would have to put a, to, to uh, put aside or whatever that goal is and come up with those. So what we do at the Commonwealth and what I help individuals with is once they know what those goals are, I give them the how, the steps to get there. So individuals who are listening, determine what the goal, what the outcome is. If it's planning for your family legacy or if it is, you know, uh, investing in your own future and things of that nature, know what it is that you want. And then work with an individual or, a, you know, a company that will actually help you reach those goals. There's a wealth of information online for free. You know, there's so much information out there. You know, there are podcasts, your podcast. You're doing something amazing and bringing attention to this. There's a number of information, financial education seminars. There's things online. So I think knowing what you want, deciding what that is, and figuring out how to reach that goal is, is really key. So you can take that from an economical standpoint and save some money and go ahead and use YouTube and Google, or you can work with an individual that can help you fast track and expedite uh, and really give you the specific tools to get to what your individual goal is. That's what's up, man. For those of you, again, listening, we've been talking with Brian Johnson here, and we've been talking all things money and wealth um, and whatnot, and the importance of savings, the importance of having that plan and having that connection, uh, you know, for, for the next generation, um, you know, if you know, especially yeah. if you have a family and whatnot. Um, where can folks find you, brother? Where, where can they come and they're just like, hey, man, I got, I want to invest this $2.5 million <laughs> I just got, you know, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So they can reach me online. The website is www.cwimoney.com. Again, that's cwimoney.com. And we are available on all social media platforms. So that's CWI Money on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, across the board. You can go and schedule a consultation with myself or one of the other coaches. And we work with individuals in the coaching format with finances. We also do estate planning, as you referenced, as well to help you do that, as well as getting your businesses started. So we focus on those three um, areas. And yeah, we are here and we are ready to serve the community. That's what's so up. That's what's up. Well, that's great. And again, for those of you listening, I'll put these in the show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com. Click on Profane Faith right there, the episode, and you will find these show notes. Hire this brother. And if you haven't noticed, if you ha if you don't know, now you know, I highly recommend him. <laughs> I love the job that Brian did on our uh, will. I, again, all these questions and all these things, it was, it was just kind of amazing to sit there and to walk out of the room with this big old notebook and to feel a little bit more at ease. <laughs> That my yeah. daughter won't have to deal with some of these things. Like some of these things would kind of already be in place mm -hmm. uh, when that day and time comes. Because at the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> the day and Absolutely. time is, is, is coming. Uh, and not to be morbid, but just to be planning. Thank you so yeah. much, Brother Brian. I appreciate you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. It was an honor to be and speak with everyone. Indeed.